The ICJ ruled uh, that the wall was uh, unlawful in terms of international law, interna in terms of international humanitarian law, and advised that the wall should be uh, broken down, it should be dismantled, mm. and uh, called upon all states who were then member states of the United Nations to assist in the destruction of the wall mm. and also called upon Israel to uh, make reparations to mm. the Palestinians. Just the, the the exposure of the moral depravity of the USA and of Israel will be known. Will be, well, it will become more pronounced. More pronounced and more exposed. Pronounced. Mm. And, and the thing is, already been exposed. Yes. It will become more pronounced. More pronounced internationally. And I think there'll be a, a bigger swing in public opinion. Why only now? Why is it that only now we see an action of this nature coming to the fore from South Africa. Why has this not taken place before or has it? And it becomes a fait accompli. No. Then for the court to give a judgment, mm -hmm. it would be a brutum fulman. Mm. Uh, it, it will be a hollow judgment. Mm. In, in that regard, you see the principle and the foundation of the rule of law is that everybody is accountable in terms of the law. Everybody is uh, equal before the law. Everybody is amenable to the law. And so the law must be applied equally, but the law is not being applied equally. Mm. What led to that? Uh, what, were, what was the impetus that led to that, um, that application being, made. Uh, being filed? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah. Wa ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum. It gives me great pleasure to introduce my, my uh, guests here this evening in this podcast recording, a special recording in light of the recent events where South Africa, Alhamdulillah, has taken Israel to task and to shed some light on this procedure and also what we can expect uh, going forward and so that we can have an, uh, a solid understanding as to what exactly is taking place and why this is only taking place now, why it perhaps has not been taken, uh, has not happened uh, yet. We have a legal expert with us, uh, Advocate Anwar Albertus. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam, Sheikh. And uh, also with me, we have my co host, Dr. Yusuf Patel. Give al hal, Doc. Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to all the viewers out there. And a special uh, greeting to Advocate uh, Anwar Albertus. Shukran for joining us tonight. No, it's my pleasure. Um, my full name is Muhammad Anwar Albertus, but uh, most people know me as Anwar. Okay. Alhamdulillah. So I was uh, chatting with Dr. Yusuf uh, the other day and he told me, look, there's a gentleman who's very, very clued up with the legal proceedings that we're also very excited about, alhamdulillah. And I, I said, look, let's arrange for a podcast interview. Let's speak about it so we can, you know, enlighten everybody else on this uh, important topic as well. Alhamdulillah, again, we're very privileged to have uh, Advocate uh, Muhammad Anwar Albertus with us. And I was really blown away by the insights and just the historical knowledge that uh, Advocate Anwar uh, delivered and expressed to us, mm. articulated, especially with what's happening now at the International uh, Court of Justice. The Quran teaches us, you know, ask those who know if you don't know. I certainly don't know about international law. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing these terms for the first time in my life, ICJ, ICC, and so on. And I try to keep abreast of the information because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I believe that uh, being enlightened with the facts is one of the most powerful tools that we can have in our advocacy, um, you know, for Palestine. So let me, let me start off the round of questions, inshallah, if you'd be so yes. kind. The first thing is, how significant is it that this is taking place, that South Africa, uh, who has been through an apartheid regime, has come out on the other side, is now taking Israel to the ICJ, the International Criminal Court 
of Justice um, or the International, no, it's court, the international of court of Justice. Now, so uh, tell us about the significance of this, inshallah. Yes, first of all, we must draw a distinction, Sheikh, between the ICC and the ICJ. No, no. The ICC is the International Criminal Court, mm. and um, that court deals with uh, the cases involving international crimes such as war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. And uh, its competency then to uh, to adjudicate, and if uh, on the evidence it uh, is indicated to convict a persons of any one of those crimes, and then to uh, impose punishment accordingly, the uh, International Court of Justice, the ICJ, is um, the uh, supreme uh, judicial organ of the United Nations, mm. and. Uh, is, was established in 1946 to uh, adjudicate uh, uh, disputes between right. uh, state parties. And so hence, the, the matter presently before the ICJ mm-hmm. is a matter strictly be, uh, between South Africa and Israel. No. And uh, the matter has been brought in terms of the provisions of the Genocide uh, Convention the convention mm-hmm. to prevent and to punish uh, a genocide, right. which is, uh, I suppose, one could say, the worst uh, crime that can be committed on earth. Mm. Absolutely, it's um, uh, the uh, destruction within. The, well, the, the intention to destroy either in whole or part a group uh, uh, because of their race, nationality, ethnicity, or religion. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's very significant, yes, for South Africa as a country to have brought this application um, because South Africa has been through apartheid. It, uh, the uh, people in South Africa know what it is to suffer uh, under apartheid, although I must say, and many people uh, will agree with me, in fact, if not most people will agree with me that the uh, apartheid that we uh, went through and uh, suffered and uh, and were subjected to cannot be really compared to what is happening in present-day Palestine. In fact, one of the the struggle (laughs) heroes, um, Professor Farid Isaac, he mentioned in in a Facebook post very early on uh, to the 7th of October, he said that uh, what we experienced in South Africa during apartheid uh, is a picnic compared to what the Palestinian people are going through. I, I, I'm inclined to agree with him. It is a picnic. Um, they didn't use uh, uh, tanks on uh, civilians. Mm. They didn't use uh, heligun- uh, helicopter gunships on uh, civilian infrastructure and mm. on civilians. They didn't also use uh, fighter jets mm. to, to bomb mm. um, civilian and, uh, civilians and civilian infrastructure. Mm. Uh, nor did they fire rockets from afar mm-hmm. on uh, on civilian uh, civilians and civilian infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not comparable, really. Yeah. But at least we have the experience of what it is to uh, suffer unequal treatment. Uh, and if one is talking about apartheid in that sense, and also the separation of people in uh, accordance with um, the religion, with, with particular well, with well, first of all. In terms of particular laws, like we had the Group Areas Act, we had the Separate Amenities Act, we had the Immorality Act, or provisions mm-hmm. of it which uh, prohibited <coughs> uh, sex across the, uh, the, the color line, as they mm. call it. Mm. 
and uh, so many other uh, pieces of legislation which were all designed to separate people. Yeah. And then we had also the uh, Bantu stands, the uh, TBVC states as they call them, Transkai, uh, Venda, Bobotaswana and Siskai. They were all intended to be homelands for different uh, races and different uh, peoples. Well, that never worked. Mm. And um, it's much the same in, uh, and, and, and worse, obviously, in Palestine. Um, something that I uh, just uh, that uh, I, I recall now is, and I think it's important also just to to um, uh, to state is that we didn't have a separation wall as mm. they have mm. in yeah. uh, in Palestine, running through uh, the West Bank, Bank. Yeah, yeah mm. separating the West Bank uh, from Israel, mm. and then also having the temerity. Um, Mm. to build that wall on Palestinian territory mm. and separating Palestinians mm. from their, their families and from their neighbors. Mm. Um, yeah. And very importantly, uh, on that particular issue, in 2004, when uh, the wall was in uh, a state of uh, construction, um, the United States refused to uh, go along with the resolution to... Um, to, to outlaw, so to speak, the mm. construction of the wall, which then for, uh, forced the General Assembly to seek an advisory opinion from the International Court of Justice. Mm. And that matter was, uh, was um, argued, and extensively so, uh, before the ICJ. And at the end of it all, the ICJ ruled uh, that the wall was uh, unlawful in terms of international law, interna in terms of international humanitarian law, and uh, uh, and, and advised that the wall should be uh, should be uh, broken down. It should be dismantled, mm. and uh, called upon all states who were then member states of the United Nations to assist in the uh, destruction of the wall, mm. and also called upon Israel to uh, make reparations to mm. the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. That's that's actually quite worrisome because now the question that's jumping to my mind is okay. So they've ruled that before and it came from the ICJ, yet the wall still stands. Correct. So now we're sitting with a case whereby there's a, you know, a genocide accusation from South Africa against Israel. And according to some of the opinions from other legal experts who worked on the Bosnian case and the like, who stated that they believe that South Africa is going to win. This was on an interview on Democracy Now! a couple of days ago. Uh, so then what then? But actually before you know, before we get to the what then and the enforceability of any particular ruling, I'd like to ask very importantly, because this was actually the first question that sprung to mind when I heard about this. Why only now? Why is it that only now we see an action of this nature coming to the fore from South Africa? Why has this not taken place before or has it? Am I just ignorant of the facts? No, this is the first time that um, in the history of what has been uh, happening in uh, Palestine mm. that any country has approached the ICJ for an opinion uh, on, uh, on genocide mm. and the committing of genocide in Palestine. Now, the question is, why only now? Mm. Um, uh, many legal experts have said that the, uh, the onus to prove the intent to commit genocide is an onerous one. Mm. It's not uh, something uh, that can easily be proved. Okay. You, it's not only the intent, but the intent part of it is, is, is quite uh, critical. Uh, it's, it's quite critical, mm. and it's not uh, an easy uh, thing. You can't simply just infer intent from conduct. Mm. You have to show that 
the um, the uh, the state that has com- commissioned the acts, uh, which um, would give rise to a conclusion of of genocide. That that intention is clear. Mm. That whether it be the generals or whether it be the uh, the people in uh, that hold the political power, you have to demonstrate that the intention was there and the intention is clear. Mm that the intention is to commit genocide as per the definition in the uh, genocide convention. Mm. So I suppose Mm. um, in the past it would have been difficult to have proven uh, genocide, but with what has been taking place now over the last two and a half, say three months, Mm. it has now become somewhat of an easier task Mm. to prove genocide. The other crimes such as war crimes, which would essentially involve a serious breaches of the Geneva Protocols Mm -hmm. uh, and the Geneva uh, Convention of 1949, is somewhat easier. Mm. Also, the the, the uh, proof of uh, crimes against humanity would be easier, but uh, uh, um, the proof of genocide requires a spe- uh, specific intent, mm. and that is not easy. But I think on the facts of the matter now, mm. it is there is a very good chance mm. that the court will find that genocide has been committed. Mm. But there's another aspect to it. The argument that's going to take place on Thursday and Friday next week um, before the ICJ, which has, uh, which sits in The Hague, um, it's going to involve um, uh, provisional measures at this point in time. Right. Um, because it's too short a time for the court to adjudicate the question on the strength of the evidence as to whether or not uh, genocide is in the making either that it is being committed or there is a risk of it uh, being committed. Um, but uh, that is going to have to be argued at another date and it will be a more extensive argument. Mm. Um, so on Thursday and Friday, the argument is going to be that pending a final judgment on that particular question mm-hmm. as to whether Israel um, has committed or is committing or there is a risk uh, that Israel may be committing a genocide in Palestine will be decided at a later stage. But in the meantime, and in order to avoid the impairment of the rights of the Palestinians, because it doesn't help you uh, to come months down the line when genocide has already been uh, mm. uh, committed and it becomes a fait accompli, no. then for the court to give a judgment, mm-hmm. it would be what we say then, it would be... Um, it would be uh, a brutum fulman. Mm. Uh, it, it will be a hollow judgment. Mm. And uh, so in order to avoid that from occurring, that is why they're going for provisional measures. So the argument on Thursday and Friday is going to be whether the case has been made out for provisional measures. And uh, the question there would be, number one, whether the court has jurisdiction to adjudicate the matter, because jurisdiction is always very important. Uh, the, the, the good thing about this case now is that both um, uh, Palestine, the, the Palestinian Authority, and also Israel have uh, signed up to the uh, Genocide Convention. Mm. So mm-hmm. there are, they are uh, parties and they can be parties to this particular dispute. But it's South Africa also. So remember, it's between South Africa and Israel. Mm-hmm. So South Africa mm-hmm. is a signatory to the Genocide Convention and yes. has also ratified it in terms of uh, municipal legislation. So um, the dispute is between South Africa and Israel. Israel. We are both uh, parties to the uh, Genocide Convention. So the question of jurisdiction, I think, is going to be a, a, a bit of a walk in the park. <clears throat> mm. um, 
The other question is whether there is reasonable prospects of success. <clears throat> That's always important because if you do not have a good case, then what's the point of granting you uh, uh, provisional uh, measures? And so they will have to look at whether or not a proper case has been made out, and as you probably would have heard, whether, heard, whether there's a prima facie case, mm -hmm. whether on the evidence there is a reasonable prospect of you as the applicant succeeding at the end in proving genocide mm. or the risk of genocide. So that's going to take place on Wednesday, on Thursday and Friday. It's Thursday and Friday next week. 11th and the 12th. Mm -hmm. Yes, and the argument, the oral uh, argument, they call it speeches in The Hague, uh, will be, I think, from 10 to 12. Mm. And uh, it'll be very limited. Mm. I spoke to two of the council today uh, who will be uh, submitting uh, arguments on behalf of South Africa. They're both uh, silks. I'm also a silk, a senior counsel. Okay. Uh, I was uh, appointed as a senior counsel by the late Nelson Mandela in October of 1994. Okay. So there are, I know you said you were going to ask me this question earlier, on, but let me just tell you now who mm. the, uh, the counsel are. It's uh, John Dugard, who was um, a professor for many years and he's an international law expert uh, who co-authored the book on international law, which is quite an authoritative work in South Africa. <laughs> he's going to be the lead counsel. He's also an SE. And he's good him. And then there's Max Duplessis, who's also a silk SE. Then there's Tembeka uh, Nkatobi, who's also a silk. And then there's Adila, um, who if she ever is going to listen to this and the uh, year that I now uh, forgot to send, and please forgive me, Adila. That's uh, okay, but it's. I'm sure uh, she will. She's a, a silk also. And mm -hmm. uh, then there are two, three juniors who would be all part of it. And then they've got two King's Council from uh, uh, the United Kingdom. Okay. So so it's quite, uh, the King's Council, the KCs are equivalent to the SEs in South Africa. Okay. In, uh, in uh, England, the uh, when the Queen was on the throne, she would appoint the, the senior council. And then okay. they were known as Queen's Councils or QCs. Now, since Charles, Charles took, is uh, the king, many of the QCs changed their... Uh, QCs. QCs to KCs, so they are they are two uh, King's Council. Mm. So it's quite a formidable team, and two mm. of them I uh, whom I spoke to this evening on a WhatsApp is uh, Max Duplessis and Tembeka and Katobi, and they said they are both going <laughs> to uh, also deliver components of an argument. Uh, each of them, I suppose, will be given a part to argue. Mm -hmm. And they were busy this evening, as they said, when I mm -hmm. sent them the messages. Now they're granting presently. all the strength and the, the firmness it. to do what they need uh, to do uh, and yeah. to the best of their ability, Arab. I think a question just to ask on that, um, again, for the benefit of us and for the viewers, is so <clears throat> South Africa made the appeal. Uh, I think it was on the 29th. Well, well, it's not an appeal, really. It's an application. An application. Mm. An appeal would be when you are seeking to disturb a, a judgment of a from a lower okay. court and you'll be appealing mm. that mm -hmm. uh, judgment. So it's an application. Really. So this is that 84-page document Correct. that I've seen. Quite yeah. a profound document. Such yes. a lot of work went into that. Panel. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. So I think the question is, um, what led to that uh, what were what was the impetus that led to that um, that application being, made. Uh, being filed, and <clears throat> who was behind that? Um, and again, uh, it, was it due to I think the concern from the broader community in South Africa that uh, placed weight 
uh, on the legal fraternity or was it due to government uh, pushing that application through? Um, I haven't haven't the slightest idea as to how it came about, but there's been much discussions in the legal fraternity about what measures can be taken um, against Israel uh, arising out. Is that locally? Locally and also internationally. Mm. But but locally there's been much uh, Mm -hmm. activity. And um, I wrote two articles already recently I wrote in the past also, mm-hmm. but uh, really recently I, I wrote two articles and the reason behind that was to draw attention to what was happening in uh, Israel and in the, in, 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 the, in the world and the dynamics involved. Yeah. Mm. And I dealt with it first of all from the uh, erosion of the rule of law uh, in the uh, geopolitical geopolit- uh, field and how that impacts on um, the rights of the Palestinians. And so I dealt with the uh, doctrine of exceptional, uh, of exceptional, uh, exceptionability of, uh, of the United States. They, they deem themselves as being exceptional. That's why they haven't signed up to many, many treaties. They haven't signed up to the Rome uh, Statute, which establishes the uh, International Criminal Court. And they don't believe that their uh, military should be subjected to a foreign uh, uh, jurisdiction. So <clears throat> when in so they act with impunity, basically. They act with impunity and they allow Israel also to act with impunity mm-hmm. uh, based on the, the, their doctrine of them being exceptional and Israel also being exceptional. So in, in that regard, you see the principle uh, and the foundation of the rule of law is that everybody is accountable in terms of the law, everybody is uh, equal before the law. Everybody is amenable to the law. And so the law must be applied equally. But the law is not being applied equally, mm. except, especially with reference to Israel. Mm. I mean, Israel has committed so many uh, depredations over the last 75 years, and they've never been brought to account. So why, 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 why only now? You know, is this accountability taking place? Is it because of the, as you mentioned, <coughs> the difficulty in in making a case of this nature, or uh, is it that the U.S. has been, you know, blocking and, and defending them all along? Like, why why do we see this development right? I mean, it's all welcome. <laughs> we really welcome it. But what's the reason for that? Um, as I was saying, look, so there has been this uh, these discussions, agitation, for want of a better word, uh, in the legal fraternity and outside of the legal fraternity, also within uh, and amongst politicians mm-hmm. about... Uh, how to deal with this particular problem because it's not being resolved in the United Nations. Mm. Because, mm-hmm. um, as as you know, I think it was on 29 October of this of, of 2023 when uh, I think it was Brazil who introduced the uh, the uh, proposal for the uh, for a humanitarian pause. Mm. Uh, almost all of the states were in favour of it, mm. but in the uh, Security Council, America vetoed it. Mm. So um, with, with that veto, the proposal died, uh, you know, died a, a natural death, so to speak. Nothing could be done, and hence Israel just carried on with impunity, mm. bombing uh, Palestine. Now, with that kind of a dynamic, you ask yourself, now, what can you do? Mm. Because the, the General Assembly passes resolutions, but the resolutions do not have binding effect. Yes. The... Um, it does. They, they do not have any coercive 
effect. Um, only the Security Council can uh, pass resolutions which would then have coercive effect and they can then deploy NATO uh, to carry out their uh, resolutions like happened in 2011 with Libya. Mm. Um, uh, Libya, I have no doubt, the insurrection that occurred there and the civil commotion was uh, spawned by uh, foreign powers. Mm. And uh, that is the general thinking that it was the United States uh, who was behind that. They didn't like Gaddafi. Gaddafi wasn't uh, um, dancing to their tune. Mm. He had to be got rid of, and that was nothing else but a regime change. And so hence they passed the resolution uh, 1973, which uh, in the Security Council imposing a no-fly zone over uh, Libya, now, that should never have happened because that was an internal problem and uh, Libya should have been uh, allowed to sort it out internally. Mm. But they interfered and they did it on the spurious ground that they were intervening on the basis of humanit- uh, humanitarian grounds. Now, mm. there you already see the hypocrisy. Mm. If that was an intervention based on, on humanitarian grounds, Where's the humanitarian yeah. grounds yeah, now? Absolutely. And yeah. then they yeah. veto the resolution in the Security Council mm. um, on 29 October. So I'm, I, mentioned, I mentioned that to just show the hypocrisy, the unequal uh, application of, uh, of uh, the law, mm. and also then the erosion of the rule of law, mm. which is the kind of grund norm that applies both internationally and also in a municipal situation. Mm. Nobody should be above the law. Exactly. If Zuma, who was the past president, um, acted out of line, then he was amenable before the law, mm. bring him before the court. Mm. And uh, as, the, as what happened, when he didn't want to uh, comply with uh, Zondi's uh, summons to appear before the Zondi Commission, uh, be uh, thumbed his nose at them. He was then convicted of contempt of court, mm. and he was in prison. So mm. he's not above the law, although no. he was number one. But that is how the law should be applied. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they're still seeking to bring him uh, to prosecute him on all of those uh, multiple charges of fraud. Mm. Um, and that should and that that applies uh, on a municipal level. In other words, on a national level, it should also apply apply in the international sphere. Absolutely. But where you have countries with foreign policies like the United Kingdom, mm. France, Germany, Australia, all led by the United States, mm. um, all designed to protect Israel, they're obviously going to collapse the rule of law. There is no rule of law insofar as their protégés are concerned, Israel mm. being their, their, their main protégé. Mm. So they're going to protect mm-hmm. Israel um, uh, come hell or high seas. Mm. And that's what they've done. But they didn't do it when uh, uh, when it came to Libya. And what they did in Libya was they went even beyond the scope of the no-fly zone. And that was only to prevent Libya from using aircraft mm. and bombing then the, uh, the, the so-called rebels. But they then uh, went further and they bombed the uh, uh, munitions uh, supplies of the Libyan forces they bombed uh, even the soldiers on the front line, mm. and then they tilted the balance of power in favor of the rebels, and that's how they toppled mm-hmm. Gaddafi. So they used uh, the uh, the Security Council, and they used NATO to do this uh, dastardly piece of work. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that is why Libya is in... Uh, the state in which it is today, thanks to America, thanks to America's uh, doctrine of uh, exceptionability. It's, it's, um, it's not subject to the rule of law. Mm. And we see it also, what happened in 
20, uh, in 2014, we have, uh, what is it, protective uh, sword. Protective uh, edge. Protective edge. When uh, Israel uh, invaded uh, um, Palestine and uh, killed so many uh, people there, they uh, were charged with uh, crimes against humanity and war crimes. And uh, Fatou Ben Soda, uh, who was a Gambian uh, uh, advocate, then was the prosecutor at the ICC. And on the strength of the complaint lodged by the Palestinians and all the evidence that uh, was supplied to her and her investigating team, they then um, uh, launched this investigation. And let me just explain to you how the question of jurisdiction works because it's quite interesting and fascinating. Um, if you want to bring somebody before the, uh, the International Criminal Court, uh, that can be done by way of a referral. If the Security Council refers a matter to the ICC, the ICC has to investigate it. It's under an obligation, a legal obligation in terms of the Rome Statute to investigate that complaint. Um, that's the one way in which the jurisdiction of the ICC can be engaged. Mm. Uh, the, the second is if a, um, a state lays a complaint, um, but both the state that lays a complaint and the state against whom the complaint is laid, especially the one against whom this, the, the complaint is laid, has to be a signatory to the, the, to the, statute, to the, to, to the Rome mm. Statute. Mm. Now, Israel is not mm. uh, a signatory, mm. and the only basis upon which it could be brought before the ICC on a complaint by a member state uh, of, uh, well, a party state, a state party to the uh, to the Rome Statute would be if it uh, consents to jurisdiction. Now, mm. Israel will never of course. <laughs> consent to jurisdiction. So then there is a third basis upon which the ICC's jurisdiction can be engaged, and that is a, upon a discretion of the prosecutor. Mm. But the prosecutor will have to have sufficient evidence before he or she exercise that discretion to investigate. Investigation is the first part of, to the prosecution. You won't prosecute unless you have a prima facie case. Mm. And that happens in any, in any court of law. Mm. Prosecutor is mm. never going to take a case to court mm -hmm. if uh, the evidence which he or she has is not sufficient to support a conviction. So what happened was that when they crafted the Rome Statute, um, many, many states were were, were, were concerned about the fact that the prosecutor could have this discretion to uh, investigate and say, what if you get a rogue prosecutor and then just uh, seeks to investigate any, uh, any person or persons because you don't prosecute states, you prosecute persons. Mm. It's persons who are going to be convicted right. and mm -hmm. persons are going to be uh, sent to jail. Hmm. Not that, that, that's what happens with, with the ICC now. It's that's against persons. Correct. So right. now, now I'm getting to what happened. And uh, it feeds into the question that you ask about why are these things happening uh, in the way that they are and why is this application being brought now? You've got to see it against a wider context. So that is the other basis upon which you can engage the ICC's jurisdiction is if the prosecutor, upon the strength of a complaint laid, would then 
gather evidence which would be sufficient in order to launch this investigation and then ultimately prosecute. But they added a rider into the statute to say that where the prosecutor seeks to exercise this discretion, he or she must lay that investigation before a pretrial chamber of the ICC. And so the judges then will sit as a pretrial chamber to look at that evidence and if they satisfied that there is a prima facie case, they sanction it and then the prosecutor proceeds. Now, that's what happened with the 2014 invasion of uh, Palestine. Mm -hmm. And so in 2019, um, she, she uh, submitted that uh, uh, the application, if one could call it that, to the uh, pretrial chamber. And I think it was in March 2021, she made uh, it public that the pretrial chamber sanctioned the investigation. What then happened was she was placed on a list of criminals and uh, terrorists by the United States. Uh, was yeah, and then, sorry, there was a further investigation that was also went before the pretrial chamber. And that was the investigation into war crimes committed by the United States in Guantanamo Bay mm. uh, and also in uh, Afghanistan. Mm. And that also the pretrial chamber uh, sanctioned. And uh, they then put her on the list of uh, international criminals and... Um, and terrorists, and then also uh, uh, issued bans against the traveling. So there was a travel mm. ban against her, and any assets that she, or it was a fellow prosecutor also, there was a deputy prosecutor, both of them were their assets, whatever if they had in America was subject to being seized. So th these were serious, serious in, uh, uh, decisions that were taken by the American administration. And... Um, and she, she gave quite a few talks about it and about how uh, disappointed, unhappy, and concerned she was about what uh, America hmm. was uh, doing and how it had impaired the mandate of the ICC to do their job. And again, it illustrates the point that I mentioned earlier, the exceptionability of the United States. I said they, they perceive themselves mm -hmm. as being above the law. Mm. They, they're not amenable before the law. Mm. And they believe that if uh, anything, they should try their soldiers. And obviously, they don't do that. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to get justice. You're not going to get uh, um, people being brought uh, to account. So that's why they can act with impunity. So this is now pervaded uh, international, uh, international law. Uh, unfortunately, and we see it playing out in Palestine and uh, for many reasons, strategic, political and otherwise. Mm. So the, the, it's against that background that you must look at all the kind of possibilities that are now being explored and whether or not they're going mm. to have the kind of desired impact or not. It's, um, time will tell, mm. but it, you, you, we have to go for every uh, possible uh, avenue, pursue mm. every possible avenue to bring these people to account and let America be seen for what it is, mm. a rogue state. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Mm. And uh, you know, the, uh, Israel is a rogue state. Mm. And um, I, will, I will give you my own view as to what I believe would be uh, possible outcomes which uh, are important. And I think that government must have thought this through quite carefully. And uh, as I say again, you ask the question as to how did it come about? Was it any particular lawyer, lawyer groups? Was it politicians or politician groups? Was it the cabinet? How did this come about that they took this decision to bring this application before the ICJ? Um, now, 
there, there's so many different things happening. Um, and you can look at what's happening in Palestine through many uh, prisms or lenses. And there are perceptions and there are dynamics. And you can look at it from the historical uh, perspective, what happened uh, in, in, uh, before 1948, from uh, 1914 onwards, what happened after the First World War, what in fact happened be during the First, World, uh, the First World War, the pledges that were made to the Palestinians and how they were recanted and then... Uh, um, and uh, how they were uh, later disavowed mm-hmm. um, at the peace conference, um, and also the uh, covenant of, of the League of Nations. This you don't see in the newspapers, mm-hmm. but very intriguing, and it shows the chicanery on the part of the United Kingdom. It shows the chicanery on the part of uh, other Western powers. So you have to look at the history, and the history is quite important because it shows how the West has uh, manipulated the situation over a long period of time to the detriment of the Palestinians. And if you want to talk about historical right, then, I mean, you go back and you look at the history. If you want to talk about theological right, another perspective, another uh, prism through which you look at it, you can look at the Quran, you can look at the Torah, you can look at the Bible, and you can ask yourself, you know, what justification is there for anyone? And is there really justification in arguing that you are a chosen race, that you are a chosen people? Mm. And this is your your land, and and that's another uh, another prism. Mm. You look at it from the um, the the uh, political perspective, the the politics involved, and you look at it from philosophical perspective, Zionism and uh, fascism, mm. and and how does that uh, differ from Judaism mm. or Christianity mm. and Islam, and what's a foot in the, yeah. all of those things? But they all intersect. Absolutely, they they, they are not. Uh, uh, isolated or insulated from each other, mm. they all intersect mm. at various levels, and so they 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 have ultimately a kind of an outcome. Mm. So when you you're talking about what do you do and how do you proceed, um, you've you've often heard people say, you know what, I'm going to play him at his own, his own game, mm. and I'm going to beat him, you know, according to his own rules. Mm. <laughs> And I'm going to show him also up for you know mm. what he's doing, but I'm going to play him you know according to his own rules. Mm. So, in law, you have to follow the rules, so to speak. You play within the parameters of the rules, and as lawyers, we that's what we do. Mm. And uh, you have to be resourceful on the facts and on the law, and that's what advocacy is all about. Mm. You can't move outside of the facts, and you can't move outside of the law, but you can push the frontiers mm. of the law. Expand the you know the the, the basic and fundamental mm. principle mm. to deal with new uh, circumstances, mm. and that you find in mm. Islam too. Mm. Uh, if there is a principle and there is a new situation, that because of the exigencies of the situ- of the circumstances that require extension of the principle, you will extend the principle based on the uh, the 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 each that's made by the mujtahids mm. on that particular mm. point, mm. and you will then extend the principle consonant with the Quran, consonant with the hadith so you find that obviously also in the so-called western mm. you know uh, world yes so, so this this um this system that that you speak of so many people um myself included kind of been lamenting the fact that this entire system is like a farce you know because the fact that israel can get away with this the fact that america just vetoes the resolution if they want and and israel just you know keeps on going uh, people were questioning human rights and international law and so on and so forth. 
now uh, a ray of hope comes through. You know, the people in Gaza have sent me this message about, you know, South Africa, thank you. Uh, this is now showing us that there is, you know, there is hope for us and so on. Our biggest fear, and I think you've, you, you've sort of alluded to it already, is that Israel is found guilty and we celebrate and it is now officially a genocide according to the international, uh, according to the, 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 the ICJ. 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 And then the world now knows this. What enforceability do we have thereafter, if any? Well, that's the million dollar question, mm-hmm. you see. I was going to come there, you know, to that. <clears throat> Just remembering what America did with uh, Fatou bin Soda. Mm. I mean, she had every right in terms of the Rome Statute to do what she did, and a pretrial chamber had sanctioned it. That's mm-hmm. at a high level. Mm. That's an international forum. It's the only um, international criminal forum that there is. Uh, which adjudicates uh, crimes against um, individuals, serious crimes like war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. And uh, they undermine it. Okay. So what are you expecting to happen now? Now, you've got to understand that between South Africa and Israel, there's a question now before the court. And remember, this is a civil court. This is not a criminal court, so there's not going to be a guilty verdict. Mm. It's going to be a judgment based on the facts as to whether or not the question that has been put before the court uh, can be uh, positively can be positively um, uh, stated to be correct. And that is, is this genocide? Is this a risk of genocide? Uh, and so forth. And... Um, that is what the court is going to have to decide. And it's a civil question, and it has to do it on the basis of the principles and also on the, on the facts. Thinking ahead, I believe that there is a very good case on the facts and uh, that ultimately the court will probably decide that this is a case of genocide and certified as genocide. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, there is this request for uh, provisional measures. And the question is now, what provisional measures mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is the court going to grant now it could be that it says and then you're going to ask me so how is this going to be enforced right but let's just look at the possibilities and we don't know Mm. what those measures are going to be but if you look at a a a kind of any other right that is possibly going to be impaired you go to a municipal court and you say look this is the relief that i'm seeking but in the meantime i want an interim order to protect Mm. my rights Mm. because if i prevail ultimately then it will become a brutum fulman it'll become a hollow judgment Mm. if you find in my favor so i want you to grant me an interim order that's why you have these urgent Mm -hmm. applications what they call interdicts either negative or positive interdicts to uh, safeguard the uh, the rights of a particular litigant and this is what uh, that's this application that's going to be heard next thursday and friday uh, is all about is for uh, provisional measures so one of the provisional measures that must obviously be is that listen you've got to stop because if you don't stop and you carry on you're going to wipe out this particular uh, group Mm-hmm. You're going to wipe out this particular race. You're going to wipe out this particular nationality. We're going to wipe out this particular ethnic group. Now, you can't allow it. When in fact, there's a prima facie case before you. So the court first decides, do we have jurisdiction? Secondly, is there a prima facie case? I think they're going to answer both in the affirmative. Mm-hmm. And they're going to take a short time to do that. Inshallah. Uh, inshallah. And then they're going to have to say, so what interim measures or what provisional measures? I believe 
and and the measures must be practical. Mm. They they must be calculated and designed mm. to protect the rights of the Palestinians in yeah. the interim. They're going to say immediately ceasefire, mm. Mm. immediately. So that will be a kind of a a, a a an instruction to Israel to stop immediately. And it's not going to say stop over a period of seven days. Mm. It's mm. stop, stop, right? Because if I were to argue the matter. That's what I would be arguing. So I didn't ask my two colleagues this evening, Tembeka and Katobi and Max um, Duplessis. They both said they're going to argue certain segments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I don't want to say what they say they're going to argue. Uh, let's see in the fullness of time, although the one did tell me I'll let you know tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I, sh- I have the right to breach mm. you know, the confidence. Of course, but, yeah. but if I were any one of them, I would be arguing for immediately cessation of, mm-hmm. of, of hostilities. And that would be an injunction on Israel to stop it immediately. Mm. And then there may be other uh, auxiliary or ancillary measures that uh, the court may wish to impose that if in fact they do not, that then um, the Security Council should uh, deploy NATO in in uh, in order to give effect to it. Now, how that's going to play out, I don't know. Mm. But that's going to be carefully crafted because, you know, you, you're dealing here with 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 armed conflict. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with war, and it cannot. Any order is normally very carefully crafted. Yeah, it's got to take into account every possibility, every contingency, and. Uh, the personal persons, especially in a municipal kind of environment, if it's a sheriff that has to carry out an order, he or she must be given specific instructions as to what to do and what not to do. Otherwise, like in certain cases when uh, a court authorizes a warrant, if the person goes outside the scope of the warrant, that the, the, the conduct is unlawful because you breach, in fact, the court mm. order. Mm. The court order has limits. It has parameters. Mm. It's carefully crafted, carefully specifies mm. what may be done and what may not be done. And so if it is going to be something beyond simply just stop firing, stop uh, all hostilities, how, how does that, in fact, play out if Israel says, well, I'm not, mm. we, we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Then there must be something other in its place unless the court leaves it open and says, well, within 24 hours, Israel must cease hostilities. They may say then, if they do not come back, if I were the judge, now I'm not going to play the judge again. Mm. If I were a judge, I'd be very cautious on adding the second one into the first order. Mm. I will simply say the interim measure that this court grants, well, there's 15 judges. They all have to concur, or at least the majority. Mm. The majority, that would be the judgment of the court. Um, and strangely enough, the president of the court is an American, and the suspicion is she's going to not, uh, now I'm on a, you know, going to be, this is uh, broadcasting, uh, going to be broadcasted later. So, but I, 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 I'm not afraid of saying that. That uh, because I've heard other experts uh, uh, propound their view, and they have serious concerns that this judge is not going to be independent. This judge is going to toe a uh, party political mm, uh, state line, mm. and so hopefully not. Hopefully, I'm being uh, well. I might be unfair to to this judge. But uh, it is an American who is the president of the court president. So I believe. But be that as it may, she cannot obviously, um, uh, her decision on its own cannot, uh, uh, excuse me? It cannot outweigh the others. Correct, if there's a majority decision. So if, if I were part of the majority, I would say, look, let's just issue one injunction 
by way of a provisional measure, and that is within 12 hours, Israel must stop its hostilities. Then I will say, if not, the applicant is entitled to come back to court. Now, many times we do that, you see. Mm. We do it because we're not sure what is going to happen on the ground. And then we'll say the applicant may come back to court on the same paper, supplement it if necessary, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to move, in fact, you know, for additional relief in order to give effect to the first order. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so I, I don't sense. know how this is going to play mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. I'm not a seance and mm -hmm. I can't foretell no, but the this, future. This, this helps. I mean, even just understanding the process, it mm -hmm. helps because you can you can see, okay, so there's… There's some process and then, you know, you know where we're going to. We don't have to just jump to the enforceability thing just yet. But now I, I want to add on to that question. Does the court have the power to to order sanctions or to, to request the signatories of the ICJ to institutionalize sanctions against Israel? No, no. Sanctions is a um, facility, if I could use that word, that... Uh, is employed by the Security Council. Mm. Not even the General Assembly mm. um, can impose sanctions because it would, it would, not, it would not have any coercive effect. Mm. can even recommend sanctions, mm. but um, there is no obligation on any state to carry it out. But if it's uh, Security Council-driven, every state is obliged then to carry out that particular resolution of the Security Council. Uh, and there would be serious consequences if you do not. So... This is the way where, where, where the rub lies, and it's this, that a party against whom a judgment of the ICJ is granted is bound to carry it out. But remember, bound to carry it out, what does it mean? It means, in fact, that you must have the moral fiber hmm. and the the, the, the self-respect to know that I've been ordered to do something, I've been enjoined to do something, and it's a matter of self-respect and uh, my, to, to protect my own uh, sense of dignity and the respect that I wish others to have for me, I will do what the court has asked me to mm. do because it was an open hearing, I put my case, court mm -hmm. didn't accept it, I'm now obliged to carry it out. I doubt where Israel in 2004 refused Israel, to carry Israel out. Israel thinks that model fiber is a type of cereal. That's, that's where it stops as far as Israel is concerned. You're right. No, you're right. Yeah. We, we, we laugh, you know, because of the imagery and the metaphor mm. that you use. But you are correct. So I suspect that uh, given the history uh, of Israel's non-compliance with General Council, uh, General Assembly resolutions, and even Security Council resolutions, um, they have thwarted many of them. They've just thumbed their nose at them. This one, it's simply just also going, not going to carry out the resolution. So I would think that it would be expedient for the court and even for counsel. And perhaps I should, uh, no, I shouldn't be saying this publicly. Uh, uh, mm. Counsel, they will know what to do. Yeah. So, um, but if I would, if I were there, I would uh, argue that you go no further than to issue an injunction for immediate cessation of hostilities. And if, your your temporary uh, and your your provisional measure is not complied with allow us to come back to this court upon say 24 hours in the written notice to Israel to come back on the same papers supplemented if needs be by further evidence for further measures that is what I would uh, do but I don't know how counsel is going to argue this matter but um, 
So it could be a comprehensive injunction or it could be simply an injunction uh, uh, allowing for the parties to come back again. But that's what I hope to see uh, because if Israel doesn't uh, adhere to the, to, to the injunction, uh, then there will have to be a recourse. And America is going to veto it again mm. in the Security Council. Mm. They say, well, there is this ICJ uh, judgment and I don't think they care a damn and they may find reasons to say we disagree with it, and we do not believe that um, there should be a cessation, and they're going to throw the same uh, excuse of Israel is entitled to self-defense, which is uh, a spurious argument. It doesn't measure up to the legal principles, especially those of uh, those in, in, uh, embodied in the Geneva Conventions of 1949, the two cardinal principles of uh, of distinction and proportionality. They have thumbed their nose at that. They have disregarded it. And that's why they are guilty of war crimes. Mm. And they're guilty also of crimes mm. against humanity. But even with that, and America knows it, it still stands behind them. So mm. is it going to stand behind them? Now, this is a challenge, you see. And that is why this application is so good. Because what is America going to do? We're playing them at their own game. Mm. Now we've used an institution that they established mm. in 1946. It's their institution. It's their primary uh, judicial organ. Mm. It is the supreme organ within the whole international apparatus. Mm. We've gone there. We that's played a, it according that, to their rules. That's an important point. Oh, absolutely. That's a very important point. No, this is wonderful. The whole, you know, I mean, you asked me, Sheikh, about how did it come about? Mm. I don't think we must even ask that. We were just saying, you know, <laughs> yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. This, this yeah. is great stuff. At the but very least, look, yeah. I, I, uh, sorry, Doc, you go ahead, you go ahead. I was so, going to say, at the very least, even if um, Israel's not willing to comply, uh, with uh, with uh, adjudication, I think just the, the the exposure of the moral depravity of the USA and of Israel will be known. Will be well, it will become more pronounced, more pronounced and more exposed. Pronounced. Mm. And, and the thing they've is, already been exposed. Yes. It will become more pronounced, more pronounced internationally. And I think there'll be a a bigger swing in public opinion. A lot of people are on the fence naturally, yeah. non-Muslims, people who are not necessarily involved with politics or. Uh, you know, have an understanding of the geopolitics and perhaps just people affected by propaganda uh, from the various news outlets. But I think if a decision is made whereby Israel is found guilty, then that obviously pushes a lot of people into the direction of rethinking and reflecting on what has now been mm. uh, decided. Yeah, uh, I think also the, the moment, okay, like like Advocate was saying, it, it's not that there will be a guilty verdict, but rather a declaration that this is in fact mm. a genocide. If that is the case, history will record the fact that it was declared a genocide. You know, up until now, we've all been saying that this mm -hmm. is a genocide. Uh, you know, pro-Palestinian media outlets, etc. Everybody's been reiterating the fact that this is genocide. I mean, you had UN officials resigning on the basis that this is a textbook mm -hmm. genocide and they can't be parcel, you know, to it. So now you have a case whereby, you, you know, you read history now and then you see the Holocaust taking place. Mm -hmm where you see Bosnia taking place, and you, you ask yourself, like, where was the world? How did this happen in front of the world? You know, why didn't anybody do anything about it? This is that move that we were looking for people to do, right? Mm -hmm. to, to actually take a stand and use all legal means necessary, and arguably even what they would consider illegal means, but we leave that for another time, take all legal means necessary to do something about it. And if they refuse to uh, abide by the ruling, whatever the ruling may be, 
then it is a testimony, an official, in my opinion, this is a, an ultimate testification to the rest of the world mm. that America mm. and Israel acts with impunity, they are above the law, and this would cause chaos, in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the future, because uh, I, I don't think that, that they would be deserving of any respect whatsoever by any community internationally, mm-hmm. uh, any legal institution and the like. Um, and I think even if they were to, so so to speak, get away with it, history will record mm-hmm. the fact that this took place and it was declared a genocide. genocide. And South Africa is the one who brought it to the fore. Mm-hmm. And alhamdulillah, for we may have load shedding, but our model campus is in place. <laughs> you put it very well, Sheikh Hirashat. Very well. Alhamdulillah. I think you've summed it up, really, as to what it's all about. Mm. And that is, that is so. It's... Um, to play them at their own game, mm-hmm. take them to their own forum and show them up for who they are. And what you, uh, we need here is that, is that declaration that this is genocide or it's a risk of genocide mm. that's taking place and you must stop. Mm. You must mm-hmm. stop immediately. And let's just see what America is going to do about it, what the United Kingdom is going to do about it, what France is going to do about it. All of those countries that have stood by Israel, by Israel the Netherlands, Australia, we must mm-hmm. name them, mm. Italy. Mm. Mm-hmm. All the colonial allies. Yeah. Correct, correct. In your so so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a watershed, really, in mm-hmm. uh, international law. It's a, an absolute watershed. Advocate, just to, just to ask about, again, the, 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 the structure of the court um, in terms of uh, Israel. Are they obliged to actually be there? I mean, they're signatory to the ICJ. Uh, we mentioned that. They're not signatories to... Uh, the ICC. No, no, they, they, they are members of the United Nations. So, uh, but yes, so they're not the signatories to the uh, ICC to the uh, Rome Statute, which yes. establishes the ICC. You're quite correct. Yes, yes. Yeah. So the fact that South Africa filed the application um, is Israel obliged to actually come to the court and to represent themselves, or could they have just ignored it? Um, well, they would have ignored it or would ignore it at their peril, so mm-hmm. to speak. So I so believe that they are preparing okay. and that they will be there. But if they are not there, that would not preclude the ICJ from uh, uh, considering the matter mm-hmm. and uh, granting uh, provisional measures. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, in any case, uh, a defendant is not obliged in a civil matter to appear. In a criminal case, a, cri- a criminal mm-hmm. or a suspect is obliged to appear. Okay. Um, yeah, to appear okay. before court. We speak about international law, and uh, we don't need to be educated in law in order to know that there's a bunch of laws being broken there. But we don't know the specifics. Um, could you perhaps shed some light, you know, in terms of what we have been witnessing and international law, where you can clearly see that here is an infringement, you know, they, they've broken these laws, etc. Even if just a summary of, because I mean, an 84-page document has been submitted, obviously we can't, we, we can't go through all of that. But just to, to give us a summary as to what would be the major focal points that, uh, that South Africa will be presenting in, in, in court. Well, South Africa's case is based on the Genocide Act, and so it would be concentrating on genocide, hmm. which will be the destruction of a people, either in whole or part, based on their ethnicity, their nationality, their race or their religion. Hmm. And um, that would be the, the focus. So all of the evidence would have to ultimately conduce towards that particular end. Um, 
so it's 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 essentially about genocide mm. but if you if you look at the wider picture and you ask about um, one of the other criminal acts aside from genocide that uh, Israel is committing and that is as I've said earlier on war crimes and crimes against humanity and those crimes along with genocide are contained in the Rome statute mm. as criminal uh, as as uh, uh, being crimes for which individuals can be prosecuted. And then we come back to the ICC, because we haven't dealt much with the ICC other than me uh, saying earlier about Ben Soda, what she did, the decision that uh, she had uh, come to to initiate the uh, investigations against Israel and against uh, America, and then uh, being confronted with being put on a, a list of terrorists and international criminals. Mm. So, um, yeah. Now, the, the Geneva Conventions of 1949, uh, there are two cardinal principles there that uh, regulate the rules of war. And um, the one is the rule of distinction, the principle of distinction. You must draw a distinction between a combatant, in other words, a soldier on the one hand, and a civilian on the other, right? And um, when you uh, target... A, a, a military objective, you must do everything in your power to ensure that you do not injure or kill uh, civilians or damage uh, civilian infrastructure. That's your principle of distinction. Your principle of uh, proportionality, which is also, and if you, if, you, if you violate that principle and you deliberately uh, bomb civilians and in civilian infrastructure, mm -hmm. that is a war crime in terms of the Geneva Convention. So they're committing war crimes, there's no doubt. Mm. The evidence is overwhelming mm -hmm. that they did not draw a distinction between if it's Hamas, that they say they, they're seeking to destroy or combat, and civilians. I mean, bombing whole neighborhoods and burying yeah. infants, uh, women, children, elderly people under rubble. I can that ever, on the evidence that we have seen, ever be uh, classified as a uh, attack on a, a military objective. So they have not distinguished between uh, civilians and combatants, and for that reason, they have committed war crimes. Mm. And that's a serious, serious, serious offense. So all of those persons within the military and also the, the political uh, heads, Netanyahu the, uh, and his other political cohorts, based on what they have said and the commands that they have given to the, uh, to the army, who have carried it out by way of uh, bombings, whether it is by rockets, whether it is by um, uh, drones, whether it is by, by helicopter gunships, tanks, or in fact um, a fighter aircraft, all of those, they have not in any way sought to distinguish between civilians and combatants. So on that basis, I have very little doubt. The evidence is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It is really overwhelming. Uh, against Israel that they've committed war crimes. So, and that is not only in the Geneva Conventions. Uh, um, and the Geneva Conventions, if there is a, a grave breach, or a serious breach of a Geneva Convention uh, uh, provision, that's a war crime. So, uh, and it's incorporated in the, uh, in the Rome Statute, so they're definitely guilty of war crimes. So we're going to come back to the ICC. Mm. Very important mm. uh, as to why also this application before the ICJ is so important because the um, ICC is not doing its job. Mm. Then the other, the principle of proportionality. So if you want to attack a military objective, 
but the 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 damage or the destruction or the killing of civilians is out of all proportion to your military objective it's out of all proportion mm. you must not f- then seek to attack the military objective mm. because of the outfall that is disproportionate mm. and because of its disproportionality that becomes a war crime now there we can easily on the documented evidence and on the real evidence uh, demonstrate that in that regard the second uh, article contained in the 1949 Geneva Conventions have been breached and uh, likewise then the provision in the Rome statute so they've committed a war crime mm. now there's another uh, area of jurisdiction which i think you're going to find quite interesting and uh, which i will touch upon and that is universal jurisdiction which i have not dealt with mm. uh, which is very very interesting and it might be the next leg that's what's going to happen in this country and may hopefully south africa may be also at the cutting edge on that <clears throat> so you you ask me so what offenses have been committed here and uh, aside from genocide and uh, what is now taking place in the before the icj so those would be war crimes and then also crimes against humanity which would be the the imposing of uh, inhumane conditions upon a population imposing also uh, conditions of suffering and we know the blockade mm-hmm. and the cutting off of water cutting off food cutting off of uh, medical supplies medical supplies uh, electricity, electricity fuel all of that mm. that is um there's no doubt that that is a crime against humanity it's mm. inhumane treatment mm. it's also torture mm. which is part of uh, uh, crimes against humanity so there's also crimes of huma- uh, crimes against humanity on multiple levels that they have committed and all of those persons within uh, the uh, israeli establishment would be guilty and are amenable to being prosecuted for those crimes now how are we going to get there i'm going to explain to you mm. just a quick comment on you know people who place their hopes in this particular case now and this law thinking finally somebody's going to do something about it mm-hmm. and then they, they they find that perhaps it doesn't go the way they thought and they become despondent as muslims mm-hmm. uh, how do we see this can justice in in this case can justice prevail here on earth yeah i think as advocate uh, albertus mentioned that we have to use the means and the resources that are available to us if we had to reject i think all the opportunities um that were available or if we did not feel that we could take recourse to the law um or through the various means of protest that we had over the past 3 uh, months mm. then we would not have necessarily gotten to this point whereby a team of uh, legal individuals would be presenting at the, the ICJ So I think it's important for us to to take the means um as they present themselves but at the same time understand that you know true justice in the sense that we're not going to bring back those 30,000 or more people that have been killed that have been injured uh you know even our definition of justice needs to be I think interrogated um we might be stopping and we might be preventing further genocide if that's the decision that will be made and um if the accused state uh is going to follow or going to abide by that will be preventing and as mm. you mentioned mm. eloquently earlier um history will record you know that this was declared officially as a genocide and that obviously will have its uh, its 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 consequences and results 
But justice in the absolute sense, um, I think as Muslims, we understand that, you know, that will be uh, before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. Um, you know, the day we depart this world, uh, all of us will be taken to account for everything uh, that we did. And whatever harm uh, or uh, infringes uh, we were responsible for, mm. will be taken account for that. And I think at the same time, you know, uh, non-Muslims um, as well, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, <clears throat> the purpose of I think of 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 the law of the judicial system is to ensure that everyone um, is 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 given a fair opportunity or uh, is able uh, uh, to 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 have um, some form of representation in court um, or in, before the law uh, objectively and fairly and. You know, some people, some individuals, some groups or institutions or states might be able to maneuver themselves out um, of that, whether it's on the regional or international level. But again, we have the conviction, uh, it's part of our belief system, that uh, that will never take place in mm. front of God. And so in that Amen. sense, justice will definitely be served there. Mm. But that does not mean as human beings we delay or we leave it to that. Mm. We have to do what we yeah, have to do. You in just sense. sit back, relax and wait for God to we, decide. We, we, yeah. You know, someone mentioned quite recently that, you know, people ask, where is God in, in this situation? We plea, we implore, we make dua and so forth. But equally, God could say, where are you collectively as, as, as human beings with the sociological systems and the developments throughout history that, you know, you, you, you instituted what did you do? Um, so I think we, we we should definitely take pride mm. uh, in the fact that uh, you know South Africa has 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 has, has made this application. No. I think from a model and from a historical perspective with our legacy. Um, but at the same time, our full conviction is within Allah Subhanahu no. wa Taala. But no. we support. We Absolutely. support to the Absolutely. best of our ability. And I think that's my next question. What can we do? You know, as just. Uh, concerned uh, individuals, citizens within society, is there anything that we can do at this point now to support the legal team? Uh, or is it basically now just on them to prepare themselves as best as possible um, for uh, the hearing uh, next week? Yes, there's nothing we can do now. Um, they're on their own, so to speak, and they will be preparing. And as I said to you earlier on, when I spoke to two of them, they were both uh, preparing at the time their written their, their oral submissions um, yes divine justice is obviously different from uh, man-made justice uh, but it doesn't mean that uh, we must abdicate our uh, duties towards each other when people have committed crimes and uh, we see that on a municipal level we see that uh, also on an international level mm. uh, and uh, there are certain uh, um, reasons as to why you punish people it's not only to uh, to to punish them for what they did but it's also to deter others from committing uh, the same kind of crimes because otherwise they may think it's worth a candle to do what the other person mm -hmm. did the mm -hmm. game is worth mm -hmm. a candle so to speak mm -hmm. so uh, crime and punishment has multiple uh, uh, benefits there's the benefit of prevention there's the re rehabilitation uh, aspect to it also a person might be inclined to commit crimes maybe if the person is convicted of the crime and sent to imprisonment with perhaps directives that the person should receive certain kind of treatment the person can then rehabilitate so rehabilitation is also 
uh, one of the components that uh, is taken into account when a person is sentenced and then also the question of uh, a person redeeming himself you know through community service so you have mm-hmm. to uh, convict and punish people for committing crimes so uh, to prevent others from doing the same no. but having having said all of that the interesting thing about the uh, the, the um, genocide convention is this the convention is for the prevention and punishment the prevention and punishment of genocide that's why in my view what uh, the Yemenis uh, are doing in uh, Yemen to uh, interdict ships from coming through Mm -hmm. uh, that narrow passage and going on to the Israeli port um, to deliver uh, uh, provisions whether it be munitions or any other supplies to to Israel in fact is very consistent with the genocide convention because they're seeking to prevent genocide because by uh, by allowing these ships to go through with uh, armaments mm-hmm. and with other provisions for the army you are in fact then aiding and abetting genocide mm-hmm. so if if ever that case came before the ICJ they would be able to say but the the, the convention says prevention mm. and punishment. Mm. And so this application is also designed, you see, to assist in the prevention of further genocide. Mm. Now, we can't bring back the 30,000 uh, souls who have left this earth, but the, 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 the genocide convention is, uh, is, is, is directed at not only punishment, but also prevention. Mm. Now, when you talk about the ICC, you're talking about a court with criminal jurisdiction. And any court with criminal jurisdiction uh, is a court that is going to inquire into a past event. Because a crime by its very nature has to be committed and completed before Mm -hmm. you can investigate it. So uh, the criminal law deals with past events. So if a person is charged for murder, you will have to first of all have a victim. You have to have a deceased. Mm -hmm. Then you will have to determine how was this, uh, you know, the person uh, uh, killed? Who killed this person? And then once you've identified the person, then you have to ask yourself many other questions as to uh, under what circumstances was this person killed? Was it self-defense? Was it, in fact, in a a case of necessity? Or was it uh, uh, without any such justification? And then you have to look into the kinds of uh, subjective intent and the various kinds of intent that you get. Mm -hmm. Um, Direct intent and uh, indirect intent and uh, legal intent, which is uh, the foreseeability Mm-hmm. of death ensuing as a result of a particular you know, line of conduct. Like in the uh, Oscar Pistorius matter, he was convicted on the basis of what we call dolus eventualis. Um, there was somebody he knew that was behind that, in, in the bathroom, mm-hmm. the door was closed. He says he didn't know. The question was, well, if you didn't know you knew there was a person, why did you shoot them? Mm. You see, did you not foresee then that you will kill that person when you shot so many shots through the door? So he might not have had the direct intent to kill, but he foresaw the possibility of killing the person and mm-hmm. proceeded all the same. So all of those things are post ex post facto. You have all of the facts, you look at the facts, then you determine as to whether or not this is murder or not. So when it comes to the ICC, they have to now determine whether, in fact, the evidence supports uh, crimes against humanity, whether the evidence supports crimes, uh, uh, war crimes. And, and I've said that the evidence is overwhelming, mm. overwhelming that uh, uh, 
Israel has committed war crimes and mm-hmm. crimes against humanity, and for that it should be indicted. Now we get to what is happening in that sphere. And why is it important for us to have proceeded to, to the ICJ when, in fact, you have a, a court with jurisdiction to try these offenses and even genocide? So, you have this prosecutor, Karim Khan. He's a KC from London. And I, I've written an article dealing with, in fact, his dilatoriness in prosecution. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've pointed out there, if not... Um, by way of a positive statement, but by at least a question as to whether there are not formidable forces that are preventing him from doing his job. But if you look at all of the facts and the, the criticism that of late have been has been leveled against him, it seems that in fact that he is a puppet mm-hmm. and that he's not going to prosecute Israel. And for a number of reasons, his public statements that he has made, you've got to read between the lines Mm. what he has said. Mm. And uh, so aren't we just dealing here or wasting our energy with this man? Now, what is is, uh, to me, and I pointed it out in in the one article, was that he steps into the shoes of Ben Soda when Ben Soda uh, retires. So he comes in there in 2021. So, June 2021, he takes office. In March of 2022, he issues a warrant for the arrest of uh, Putin and uh, uh, Putin's commissioner of uh, children's rights mm-hmm. uh, based on the, on, on the allegation that they deported children from the Ukraine to Russia. Char- excuse me, charges them without offense and issues warrants of arrest for them, right? So, every country in the world is obliged if Putin sets his foot or his commissioner sets her foot in their country to have him arrested and take him through to The Hague to be prosecuted. But now one asks oneself, the invasion only took place in February 2021. Mm -hmm. How is it in fact in March 2022? He already issued that warrant, but we had a full docket that was sanctioned by a pre-trial chamber. Okay. In 2021, February to March 2021, that's when Ben Soda made a public statement that in 2019, she had laid this before the uh, pre-trial chamber in March 2019, and in 2021, she declares pre-trial chamber sanctioned it. He's sitting with that since June when he took office in Mm -hmm. 2021. But in March 22, he issues a warrant for Putin's arrest, but he's done nothing about a docket that he had already, which had already the evidence because the court the pretrial chamber said yeah. it was sufficient for prosecution so you ask yourself is this not selective mm-hmm. uh, and then you ask yourself given the statements that he has made he's almost assumed that Hamas committed atrocities on 7 October mm. when in fact the evidence is not clear mm. the evidence in fact is not clear at all in fact, the evidence what seeks, evidence? Yeah, the mm-hmm. evidence seeks to to to, uh, to 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 indicate that the persons, the civilians that who were killed, were killed by friendly fire mm-hmm. of the uh, Israelis. Mm-hmm. And um, so, what offences did they commit? There's none. But he speaks almost as though that those it's are given. Mm-hmm. And so, you you must question this man's motives. Now, I was told this, and I, I'm making this statement uh, on air, and. Um, if it comes to his ears, well, it comes to his ears. He can either deny it, he can admit it, but uh, I'm told 
by colleagues in the legal fraternity that he's a Qadiani. Mm-hmm. And uh, Israel has given uh, refuge to Qadianis. Mm-hmm. So uh, we know Palestinians are by and large, they are, uh, they are um, Sunni. Sunni Muslims. Sunni. So uh, is this a dynamic that's playing out here? Mm. Has he reason to be partial towards Israel? But forget about all of that. I just go by the evidence as a lawyer. And I say to myself, there's a distinction in law between various kinds of evidence. You have hearsay evidence, which is inadmissible, except under certain circumstances. You can't come to court and say, I heard from this person that he did this. <laughs> that is hearsay. Mm. That's not evidence. That, that's, that's, not what, that's what Biden did about the footy babies. Correct. Mm. Correct. Absolutely correct. That's a mm. good example. So that's inadmissible. We have eyewitness testimony where a person comes to court and says, I saw this, I saw that. That evidence has to be that evidence has to be subjected to scrutiny. So you do that by way of leading the witness, and then there's a chance to cross-examine and test that person's evidence. And ultimately, uh, the presiding officer has to determine on the totality of all of the evidence whether that person is credible and whether that person is reliable. Because sometimes a witness might be credible. The person believes or she believes that what he saw is in fact what he saw. But on closer uh, examination, Mm -hmm. that evidence is not reliable because it is contradicted by so many other facts which are incontrovertible. So the evidence, that witness might be credible but not reliable. So then you get what is known as the real evidence. So that's eye testimony. Mm -hmm. But when you get a video of a man who shoots somebody through the head and you see him holding the gun and you know obviously the bullet is flying at a great velocity uh, velocity, but you see the person you know just keeling over and falling on the ground and there's blood against the wall and there's blood by his head I mean you know that's what we call real evidence you don't get evidence better than that so if that if 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 the video clip is not tampered with or spliced to anywhere uh, where you can say it has somehow in fact been tampered with that is what we call real evidence. Now you ask yourself, how many of the video clips are not there? And if you just look at the video clips of Gaza and what it looks like, and we know who did that, mm. right? That's real evidence. Mm-hmm. What? How many you know clips do you need to show you that that Gaza or Gaza has been ravaged by bombs by mm-hmm. by Israel? What more do you need when you have video clips showing you people being pulled under rubble? Dead? You, have you seen that interview with Mehdi Hassan with, with, with the spokesman of Israel? He actually says, we don't know how they died. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah he says, we don't know how they, they could have died in a different way. He says, but you people, no, no, we don't know how they died. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's just what, another no, one incredible. of those incredible moments mm-hmm. where you think like, wow, these people are capable of anything. But they actually deny it. I know that's a, you know, a... Cognitive uh, disconnect. Mark Regev, yeah. Yes, yes, this is that. That guy is... <laughs> no, no, that, that you, you can, just, you can uh, ignore that. That is uh, incredible. It's mm-hmm. prepost- preposterous. So you have all of that evidence, and then you have the reports of doctors, mm. evidence of doctors mm. who were there. And there's one doctor that came to South Africa. Max, Max Gilbert. Gilbert yeah. uh, Max Gilbert. Mm-hmm. There you hear him. He's on a video clip. You can take that video clip as real evidence. Mm. A man is speaking, and then you can call him to testify. You can put that all into a document right referencing it all mm. and you have a solid case mm. to present to charge Netanyahu and all of those others within his cabinet mm-hmm. and also the commanders of the military uh, with uh, crimes against humanity and with war crimes and even genocide 
But leave genocide out of the picture, just on those two alone. It would be sufficient for him on the strength of that evidence to indict these people and to issue warrants. And if he did, they would not be able to move. Hmm. And then if Netanyahu went to America, America, what is he going to do? We know we're not going to arrest him. So what does it show? That they're not giving effect to an international forum which has been established by the vast majority of mm -hmm. states mm. within the paradigm and the structure and the framework of the United Nations mm. organization. Mm. So, it again, once more, will just bring to the fore the hypocrisy uh, of, of uh, America and its uh, continuous flouting of the rule of law. Mm. But he's not going to do it, right? I, I suspect he's not going to do it. He's not going to issue warrants. So now we get to another forum, or another, another forum, another way in which these people can be interdicted. It has now uh, become uh, quite established in uh, international law. It's part of custom international law, and it's also um, can be uh, gathered and gleaned from the uh, Rome Statute that uh, countries have what is known as universal jurisdiction. And our constitutional court has confirmed that South Africa um, has universal jurisdiction and can exercise it. And it works on this basis. That if a crime of international concern and war crimes and also crimes against humanity are crimes of international concern, have been committed, if you suspect that they have been committed, and it doesn't have to be by a national of your country, and it could be a national from another country or groups of people, and the crime does not have to be committed within your territorial jurisdiction. It could be committed elsewhere. Mm -hmm. As long as it is a, a crime that is of international concern or it constitutes a, a grave breach of the Geneva Protocols, you can investigate and you can prosecute and you can in, uh, issue warrants. Mm. So that is something we haven't explored in this country. And I've, mm. speaking, I've spoken to a, uh, a few colleagues of mine, and uh, one is a silk in, in Durban. And he said we need to explore this because um, there is a strong factual and legal basis for us to um, get the national prosecuting authorities to investigate. Mm. The only condition is the following, and it applies universally. And our constitutional court has said as much. If you lay a complaint, the NPA will be bound to investigate it. So you give all the evidence, you say, yeah, we, here we go. They must then establish a investigating team. Investigating team would then go beyond what you have given or may say, accept that this is enough. If they do and they say, this is a prima facie case, this is a good case we can take to court, they will issue the warrant mm. and they will issue a charge, mm. uh, an indictment, mm. then that person or persons whom they've issued warrants against, like with Putin, mm -hmm. okay, may not proceed anywhere in this country mm. if that, those persons put their feet here. Mm. entitled to them to arrest them, and now we prosecute. You can't prosecute them in their absence. You can investigate in their absence. Mm -hmm. You can issue the warrant of arrest in their absence, but you cannot. And you can wait for them in the airport. <laughs> you can wait for them at the airport. Mm. And you know what you can do? Once you've done that, you take that same evidence and you replicate it with all of the other African mm. states and, and many other states. So that we need to do. And that is not really what I think you know, we have been given, we, we, have, we have explored. Oh, we wow. need to explore that. Absolutely. That limits their movement, essentially. Yeah. We need no. to explore uh, universal jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. 
So, so we've, I mean, you've just given yourself some serious homework there, advocate. But <laughs> alhamdulillah, I think you're yeah. the right man for the job. Um, I think we, we, we need to wrap up the discussion. Uh, so we'll take final points from everyone. But what I would love to do, what I think is quite necessary, is for us to, after the hearings that take place on Thursday and Friday, uh, to then analyze what exactly has taken place there and the way forward from that. Um, I think that would be uh, very needed so that we can all be, because I don't think there's been a, I mean, people were proud that South Africa won the Rugby World Cup and I don't know what else, but if there was ever a moment to be proud to be South African, it's mm-hmm. right now. And uh, we thank you, uh, Advocate, for your service and for, for providing us with that information. But I'd like to hear some final words, perhaps from Doc first. And then a wrap-up statement from uh, Advocate, inshallah ta'ala. Bismillah, Doc. Alhamdulillah. I don't think there's, there's much more for me to say. Uh, just a special thank you to Advocate uh, Muhammad Anwar Albertus. Um, you've shared, again, profound insights, I think, on uh, the legalities and on the history. Um, and I've provided myself, Mulan Irshad, safe for me to say that, and definitely for our listeners, you know, the perspicacity and understanding what to expect next week. Um, and inshallah, as we've, uh, as we've discussed, uh, we, we have hope that uh, the right decision or instruction will be uh, adjudicated. And uh, we hope that I think ultimately a ceasefire will take place or this will stop. I think that's the most important thing from, uh, you know, that we can, that we can hope for uh, beyond anything else. Uh, just, you know, the end to the genocide, end to the suffering, um, you know, you mentioned Dr. Mads Gilbert, uh, you know, when he came to Cape Town and uh, at his at his presentation the one evening, you know, he said that hopefully very soon we will be able as an international community to go back and to rebuild Gaza uh, and not just to rebuild for it to be destroyed again, you know, as Israel has the habit of mowing the lawn, as they say, going in. Um, so we pray, inshallah, that with this decision, hopefully, inshallah, that uh, we will be able to go in our various capacities and to be able to support the people of Gaza and of Palestine. Uh, and again, it's not only of Gaza. Whilst Gaza is, I think, facing the brunt of the incursion now, uh, we shouldn't forget uh, the Palestinians in all the other territories in the West Bank, in Jerusalem. I was there a few weeks ago, uh, you know, to visit Aqsa specifically. And even the people in Jerusalem uh, are feeling uh, the pressure and uh, feeling uh, the consequences of the incursion uh, in Gaza. So hopefully we will all be able to play a constructive and positive role. Um, and this would be the end, I think, uh, you know, of the conflict. But if not, and that, you know, just sort of ties into the initial question you asked me earlier, we should not lose hope and we should continue to explore the options and the resources that we have available. I think the Palestinians look at us. Uh, we look at them just of people of, 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 of immense fortitude and, you know, people that we look up to. Mm. But they look to us, I think, as the very few people around the world or from at least, uh, you know, the Muslim community that uh, is supporting them. And I'll end with this. At Masjid al-Aqsa, we spent time with various uh, uh, of uh, of the scholars and Sheikh uh, Ali Abbas, uh, who was a former khatib uh, of uh, of Masjid al-Aqsa or of uh, uh, of one of uh, the mosques on the Bayt al-Maqdi site. He said that as South Africans, don't ever think that your support is meaningless. As Palestinians, we have... Uh, we have let go of support from our Arab states. 
our neighbors in the region, right? We look to the non-Arab Muslims around the world as our support structures and don't forget that. And so whatever you do feeds into us, gives us strength and gives us, um, you know, that fortitude and that ability to stand and resist. And uh, Aqsa and the blessed land uh, belongs to all people, uh, not only them. So inshallah, we'll continue irrespective of the outcome. And whilst we hope for a good outcome and a positive outcome, I think we mm. should just remain hopeful mm. um, and continue what we are doing. Allah bless. Jazakumullah khair. And Doc, I just want to also uh, wrap up by saying that, look, we we will not uh, cease, right? We will not cease our efforts. And I don't believe those lawyers are actually alone and I don't believe that there's nothing we can do. I believe that Allah is with them because this is a jihad. You know, people have misconceptions about what jihad is, but this uh, case that, they, that they're taking, this is jihad. I mean, it's a struggle for justice. It's a struggle to, to right a wrong, a huge, probably the biggest injustice of our time. And uh, I, I would like to urge everyone, you know, say a special prayer for them. Uh, pray for them tremendously. Um, this is not a matter of, oh no, but they're not Muslim or this is not this one. Pray for them because mm-hmm. they are in a jihad. And then secondly, I want to say that there are other ways that we can assist as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've discussed this earlier, you know, before we started recording, um, that there's a group of youth that we, that we are in contact with in Gaza. And uh, we have a direct line to, to supply them with much needed funds. They are doing work on the ground. So there's a group in, in the West Bank and there's a group in Gaza. They are doing tremendous work on the ground. Mm-hmm. They know where to, you know, they're, they're resourceful because mm-hmm. they're from the land. So they know exactly where to get uh, different supplies from whatever is available mm-hmm. and uh, bring it to the, the people uh, who need it the most. Um, SubhanAllah, it's so inspiring. But I just wanted to mention that because uh, Advocate actually mentioned that when he came mm-hmm. in and he said he's, he's seen that and he's also, mashallah, contributed. I hope you don't mind me saying so because it's a means of inspiration for others as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because here we have, I mean, continue supporting aid organizations. They're doing tremendous mm-hmm. work. This is just a more direct touch that you can actually support people on the ground there who are in fact, not even taking it for themselves, but assisting others. Mm-hmm. That's, they are like the personification of those words. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the Sahaba, but they prefer others over themselves, even though they are in need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kindly do contribute. And I think I just add the, the details on the screen now. Um, so uh, from my side, thank you so much to Advocate Jazakumullah Khairan Allah reward you. And we would like to hear from you to conclude uh, the, the recording, inshallah. Bismillah. Shukran. Uh, first of all, shukran to you, Sheikh, for inviting me onto this program and also to Dr. Yusuf. Um, I just wanted to mention the name of the fourth senior counsel is Adila Hasim. Ah, okay, uh, mashallah. So if she ever, you know, watch this, then she must watch it to the end. <laughs> and, I, and I apologize for uh, uh, having forgotten her name. Uh, yes, I, I agree that uh, whatever we can do, whether it is by way of du'a or otherwise, we must do there's nothing um, that we cannot do and our efforts must be multi-pronged must be multifaceted so uh, it's on every level um, and making dua is very very important also if that is all that we can do then we must make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to assist first, first of all our brothers and sisters in Palestine the Mujahideen that are fighting uh, on the ground and uh, the uh, 
ordinary Palestinians who are suffering so much there. May Allah also strengthen them, grant Amen. them sabr, inshallah. And those who have left us, to grant them uh, the status of shaheeds, which Allah has uh, promised. And uh, just lastly, yes, uh, focusing on what's going to happen next week, inshallah. Um, Yes, we won the World Cup marginally, the Rugby Cup, mm. but I hope that we're going to win this you know, landslide <laughs> victory amin, amin. Uh, by a, a large majority, amin, inshallah, amin, amin, and that amin. much uh, which is positive will uh, come there from, but it will also not be the end of the road in terms of our struggle mm. uh, towards assisting our brothers and sisters in Palestine. Mm. That will only just be one of the milestones along mm. the way, mm. and uh, that ultimately... Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. And uh, whatever that uh, means, you know what I mean by that. I Mm -hmm. think other people also know uh, what we mean by that. Yes, and we do mean uh, from the uh, the river to the sea. Mm -hmm. Uh, The two-state solution, let me just conclude by saying this. I, very many years ago, had written a paper. Could have been about 20, 25 years ago where I uh, still believed in the two-state solution. I do not believe in it anymore. I've Mm. got reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, Zionism must be dismantled. Absolutely. And Mm. it's the only way that uh, Palestinians and Jews and Christians will be able to live in uh, harmony with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much. That was an excellent uh, final point. I will leave it at that. Jazakumullah khair. Until, until next time, inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad. Subhanallah wa bihamdi. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.